In this episode, Angela Rayleigh and a group of faith walkers reflect on the topic of the healing path. What happens to our soul when we suffer in a world that is at times dark and tragic? This conversation was originally recorded in October of 2021. We want to remind you, Faith Walking's mission is to make wholeness possible for individuals, communities, and the world. Visit us at www.faithwalking.us. Join this conversation. I thought I'd start by reading some key quotes, since I'm sure not everybody had a chance to read it. I always hope to get things out earlier than I do, and strangely, it never happens. Um, so there are kind of two themes I would, if I had to simplify it. One is the, that he talks about, what is the challenge of suffering and the risk of basically not suffering well, or suffering that doesn't lead to redemptive you know, purposes? And then the second is the hope you know, in our suffering, the hope that we have. What happens to our soul when we suffer in a world that is at times dark and tragic? We lose faith. How could God allow this to happen to me? We lose hope. How can I ever be the same after this hurt? And we lose love. How can I give and receive when so much has been lost? But great tragedies aren't the only things that snuff out faith, hope, and love. These precious assets are similarly smothered by non-dramatic routine suffering, quote unquote, I would say, the loss of our friendship, the misery of not getting ahead, the petty squabbles with one's kids or spouse, the frustration of remaining uncoupled or childless or out of work. I would say it's more than frustration. That was my only beef with that passage. Okay, I'll stop with that. Um, and the, the struggles with internal or external conflicts that simply don't go away after much prayer and effort. The wearisome battles of life drain us daily of faith, hope, and love. And the problem with some of the ways we respond to suffering, um, I would say, is that once the inevitable pain comes, it is too late to consider how we will allow ourselves to be shaped by it. If we fail to anticipate thoughtfully how we will respond to the harm of living in a fallen world, pain may be for naught. It will either numb or destroy us rather than refine and bless us. Um, the Apostle Paul tells us that as we groan inwardly, we wait eagerly for our final redemption. But few of us enter the tragedy of living in a fallen world and simultaneously struggle with God until our hearts bleed with hope. We either give in to pain with a hopeless cynicism or we settle for an artificial resolution that insists that things really aren't too bad and we need not muck around in the negatives of life. Suffering can move us toward God or it can move us away from him and consequently away from being fully human and alive. If we are close to sorrow, we will also be close to true joy. Um, suffering changes the human heart, sometimes for good and often for ill. We are faced with the challenge of learning how to wrestle with sorrow so it can bring about the greatest good. If we want to become more like God wants us to be, we must consider what it means to live well in a fallen world rather than scramble to escape the veil of sorrow. Just as a place to kick off, um, and we'll get to the hope, you know, that'll be kind of the second theme and we, they'll all intertwine. But um, what were you, I just, the first question was, what were you present to in yourself as you read this text and what did it stir up for you? Uh, how could you relate or did you find it difficult to relate? Any of those? Um, who wants to kick us off? 
Oh Lord, I could so relate. Why do you think I'm here? I've, I mean, we got off vacation early. We were supposed to be gone, but yeah, I didn't think you were going to be able to make it. Even yesterday, I mean, I was reading this and I mean, when I was going over it this morning, it just, it reminded me of yesterday. You'd think I would be coming back relaxed after a vacation and all good. No, I had probably the worst anxiety attack <laughs> that I've had. And, and, it, and I kept asking myself, what is your problem? But I realized exactly what you wrote there. It's just that the chronic constant uh, of, I don't, I, I call it letdown or disappointment, mm -hmm. you know, um, and then knowing oh, what I'm coming back to. <laughs> it was just like, you know, I, yeah, you can always go, go on a trip. Not, well, I can't always go on a trip. It's only our second trip in four years to go on a trip and get away from everything and everybody that reminds you of something bad and then have to come back to that. And I was actually reading about PTSD this morning. I thought that gum, <laughs> if I, if I, I know I got it, I have to have it because it was such a trigger just getting in the car. And that's PTSD is even like, uh, it's like an even more, I'm not saying this for any sort of psychiatric, you know, I'm just saying it's like, it's like, what he's talking about about the daily struggles like amplified to the point of uh you know of it being i mean overt trauma although you could say a lot of this stuff is trauma in small bits but yeah it's like the buildup of all the little disappointments so one day you realize that your heart has gotten you don't hope a lot necessarily anymore when you're in that place you know i definitely felt like it was just a number of things where i thought i was a very positive person and i was always you know trusting god and then like until I wasn't. And then it was like, wow, how did that happen? And I think it was just this buildup of little bitty disappointments and shame and, you know, all this stuff. What else, guys? Thanks, Brenda. Stir up anything for anybody else reading the material? I'll share, Angela. As I'm reading through this, I was really glad that you um, were sharing this today because I have the book and I pulled it from my shelf and I read it, gosh, probably more than five years ago and it was really really helpful but just in reading through this I'm reflecting on a time um, that was more than eight years ago that the Lord had told me all my kids were at home still we were having some really rough times with Vanessa our youngest and I felt like the Holy Spirit was telling me to embrace the suffering and I just said flat out, no, <laughs> you have got to be kidding me. I am trying to survive here. And although I know the Lord was always with me during that time, I really, I went through a season probably of about three years that I did not, I was really just like in survival mode. Um, what brought me back to the Lord was really crisis and uh, more crisis than what we had been going through and the suffering only increased not because I had um, refused to embrace it because I didn't understand really what that meant but um, yeah in the last probably six to seven years it has been very very intense um, and it, and it continues, it's different, but it continues. And when you mentioned like that, and he talks about that green verdant valley that we, um, hope to get on, on the other side. Um, I can't say that I'm 
there completely because it's still very, there's still a lot of suffering and still a lot of crises and all of that. But the Green Verdant Valley, I've caught glimpses of it and it looks different than I had anticipated. I think I had anticipated that it would be no more suffering or that things would work out in whatever ways. But the Green Verdant Valley has more to do with my relationship with the Lord and the things that he's building in me as opposed to my outside circumstances and what's swirling around in my in my life. So um, that was just one thing that I thought about as, as we were going through this. It's like, I've experienced this so many times. I don't know why I continue to have expectations of how it's going to turn out or how it's going to look or anything like that. I think it's just a matter of me letting, leaving control up to the Lord and let it work out how he wants it to work out, even though at times it can be exceedingly painful. Um, having those who have a more clinical or more my story of harm is the biggest and best story of anybody's. And having been in some of those spaces, I just found the beauty of how you captured what he wrote. So refreshing and beautiful, like a waterfall. It was so good to be in the beauty of his words and the truth that he sees so clearly. And um, as we were talking about, it's hard to see joy when you're in such sorrow and pain. I, um, I did a thing for some church leaders in another city uh, back on Tuesday. And I just led them through one of the liturgies of Douglas McKelvey, which is a liturgy for embracing both joy and sorrow. And if you guys would like, I'll put that in the, the Facebook page, but there's a little bit that I just wanted to read, if that's okay, just like two lines. Sure. For joy that denies sorrow is neither hard one, nor true, nor eternal. It's not real joy at all. And sorrow that refuses to make space for the return of joy and hope, in the end becomes nothing more than a temple for the worship of my own woundedness. Mm -hmm. stuck there. <laughs> We, we, yeah, and it doesn't mean we have to be in joy, it just means to make space. Mm -hmm. That And it, we're walking with somebody in a church that has made the temple of her woundedness so important. Mm -hmm. And uh, anyway, that's just all I wanted to say. I think there's, it's hard to embrace the joy when you're in the pain. It's almost impossible. Yeah. But I find his words and McKelvey's words can help move toward. Yeah, thank you. I, re I can really relate to that. And I think that sometimes it's only a difference for me. I've noticed, and I don't even think this is necessarily up to us. Like, I'm not even sure that it's any, any choice I've made deep down. Like, it may be just the Holy Spirit. But I feel like the only thing that has shifted is I feel able to look for the positives now. Like, I'm, like, looking for God in things. And that's, like, as far as I can go. But then it start you start seeing things and you start seeing like how he blessed you. And then like, you know, you suddenly the gratitude thing, start, which, you know, he's been doing it all along, but I just wasn't able to see it. And so this now I've noticed I'm much more able to be like, wow, thanks. <laughs> you know, you're like, you know, you, you care for me. And, and that's, 
and I, but but I think that's moving me a step forward, you know, to 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 getting to the next place spiritually, and 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 so I'm trying to cling to that that that's enough for now, um, and the fact that like having done this assignment assignment, you know, having been assigned to lead today, and revisiting this material, just enough of it to to present. I want to read the book again. And then I realized myself, I was like, wait, I haven't wanted to read it. And then I, I literally, you guys, oh, I pulled it out. Hold on just a second. There's two other books. I have to do another plug. Hold on. <laughs> That's beautiful. Shoot, what did I do with them? <laughs> <laughs> and suddenly I was pulling out my other books about this, which I couldn't touch when I was in the deepest part of the suffering or the pain. Henry Nowen turned my morning into dancing. Mm. Phenomenal. And okay, this is not the other one. <laughs> the, uh, this is the healing path. Um, the other one is Larry Crabb's Shattered Dreams. Mm. Larry so Crabb works with Dan, where has worked with Dan Allender a lot over the years. They've co-authored books. And just a quick thing about Dan Allender that you reminded me of, Deborah. His work has primarily been over the years, his specialty or his expertise has been around sexual abuse trauma. And he wrote a book that he's most known for called The Wounded Heart, which also applies to anybody's wounded heart, but it is specifically kind of around sexual abuse. And then since then, he's branched off and started dealing with heart trauma, so to speak, you know, more broadly, which has been just such a gift. And uh, yeah, also this group has mentioned him before, too, I think. But um, yeah, he's great. So any other thoughts you want to share at this point? I want to, I'm going to read some of the positive things and then we'll have everything. Go ahead, Linda. I mean, um, well, uh, Deborah will know that uh, I, I really felt it was right to try and get here today. And, and it was a bit of a battle and I understand now why. Um, I couldn't have read this material a few uh, months ago. It would have been impossible. Uh, I've been a Christian for what, 50 years. And um, I've had a very sort of blessed life. Everything was like perfect. You know, my marriage, my home, my church life, everything. So I thought from that position of uh, almost superiority, comfort, um, I needed to help other people. So I did lots of training and I read Dan, Dan Allender and uh, Larry Crabb and all, all of these people. And that was my sort of the tools that I was going to use as I was going to minister to, to other people from this place of comfort. Now, little did I know that um, January 2014, well, 2013, both my children, grown-up children, um, um, married and moved well away from home. January 2014, my beautiful husband, Terry, took his own life. There was no... Um, Preparation, no warning, nothing, completely out of the blue. So although I was a strong Christian, suddenly, you know, my world had just completely fallen apart. But the night I came home from, he, he actually took his own life in a hospital. And um, myself and my son and my daughter drove home from that hospital to our house, because I knew if it, I didn't come back here, um, I, I wouldn't want to ever again. And I got into my own bed and they got into their childhood beds as it were. And I had, I don't know, I wasn't asleep, but I don't know whether you'd call it an open vision or a, 
I don't know what, but it wasn't a dream. But I saw the three of us standing in a car park and in the dark with a torch and just shining at the ground in front of our feet and just taking like one step at a time. And it was so powerful. I actually called for the two of them and all three of us got into, into my bed. And I talked to them about, for some reason, about the journey ahead and that we would want to sort of sit down in it because it was so awful or we would want to run through it to sort of get out the other side quickly, but that I suddenly felt that God was saying, we just had to put one foot in front of the other and walk. And then they went back to the rooms and on the back of that, God told me to buy a pair of red shoes. Now that seems incredibly inappropriate um, for someone who's just widowed. So a couple of days, um, well, it was after the funeral, I went to a shoe shop and I saw the perfect red shoes but I couldn't bring myself to buy them. So I bought the identical shoes, but in black. And then I went for a coffee next door, sat down with my, my coffee and the box with the shoes. And then I knew that I'd been disobedient. So I went back into the shop and asked, I didn't go into detail if I could change the shoes for the red ones. And God told me that I had to wear those shoes every day for 12 months. And that every time I looked down at my feet, I had to remind myself of this, this journey. And that, that at the end of, the 12 months I was free to wear them or not wear them as you know as, as I chose now it hasn't in any way been an easy journey you know there's been days when I have just wanted to just end it all because it's been so tough but seven and a half years on um, I'm actually beginning to experience joy and sometimes I feel a little bit guilty as if I shouldn't. And I know that other people look at me and, as if to say, well, how can she laugh um, when she's gone through that? But, um, you know, as you were saying earlier, the joy and pain um, are sort of like flip sides, well, they can be of each other. And another friend of mine said to me, Linda, she said, this is hypothetical. I don't want an answer, but if you had a choice between going not going through what you've been through or going through it and being equipped to help others, which would you choose? Thank you so much, Linda. Really appreciate your sharing your story. Um, things that I hope was hopeful for for today is that we could yeah. hear from people at different places in their... Go ahead. Somebody was trying to say something. Um, hi, Angela. I did want to uh, say something. Um, I first want to uh, thank you guys for... Uh, having me, allowing me to attend. It's uh, very uh, heartwarming and I also find it very strengthening um, as uh, both uh, Brenda and Linda and, and even you, Angela, were, were sharing. <clears throat> what was coming to mind is how big our God is. And uh, when we were talking about the suffering either uh, can sometimes make us cynical. I was thinking about, uh, and I think about this often in my own walk with the Lord, that sometimes I feel like my humanity gets in the way of my faith. And then I'm reminded of God's grace, that even in his grace, he understands our humanity. And he allows us to have those times where we are cynical, as Brenda was saying, and I think the important thing is to recover or rebound. You know, we, we have those times we have those vents where we scream and yell because things are crazy and out of sorts. Um, 
and he allows that. But then in our faith, we look up again and we have hope again. And then even that venting time, he uses to strengthen us. So uh, I, I was, those were the thoughts that I was having. And uh, uh, Linda, uh, my heart does go out to you. And I was thinking as you were talking uh, about uh, this suffering, which uh, I, I, as she said, unless you're going through it, if you, you, you just don't feel it the same. But I was thinking of the goodness of the Lord that your desire was to minister and to help people. And while this was tragic, he will use it Amen. to make you even a better uh, ministry to someone else. So uh, I'm glad I joined today and um, you all have given perspective. I feel like the little things I'm struggling with are very small, uh, but even the small things mean a lot to the Lord. But I thank him. One thing I've learned in suffering is as, um, who was leading us, Angela? <laughs> I'm sorry, uh, was saying right there at the end is that when we start to say thank you, even for whatever that struggle is, thank you, Lord. I, I believe in the scriptures. You are going to make this good for me. You're going to turn it into some kind of good and benefit. That gives me the strength to keep going through because we can cry and ask him to change the situation, but he, he knows what he's doing. And sometimes we're in the oven of refinement and he doesn't take us out until he's got that vessel that he wants. But as we turn that pain and that uh, discomfort and that struggle into thanksgiving, it seems to give us that fuel that we need to keep going forward. That one step at a time, Linda, those red shoes reminding it's a, it's a daily journey of uh, one step at a time. So I did want to share that and thank God for allowing us to have those human times but also strengthening our faith and giving us what we need to be a help and a strength to each other and to one another. Uh, so thank you for letting me share. You're so welcome. Thank you so much for sharing, Marilyn. Um, and I think it, I think timing is is important. I mean, I think it's human to doubt. You know, I, I think I used to think that it that that was bad. I mean, even though it seems so cliche to think that doubting is bad, but I did. I mean, deep down. And I think it's, it's human to wrestle. And, and there, there's a lot going on we don't even know about. Sometimes we can't get out of a phase we're in. And this is not, I'm not trying to make excuses, but like sometimes we can't get out of it because we have physical health things going on. We got, we have mental health things going on. We're exhausted, you know, and God, I mean, God gets that. And I, if it takes four years or 40 years, you know, I say four years, cause that's kind of the dark where I feel like I've been, but you know, there's, there's not a time limit. Um, it's a lot, but I think just the position, the posture of trying to be open to just whatever God would have for us in that, maybe, maybe that's as much as we can do. And maybe that eventually brings us to the next, you know, to the place that you're talking about, Marilyn, where we can, you know, really redeem that, that suffering. Um, yeah, it definitely. Yeah. The whole thing about like going through suffering so you can minister better to others. We hear it a lot, but it is so true because it just is not real. It doesn't, it's not real to you until, until you can personally you know, identify with some of this stuff. I'd heard all my life about people having crises of faith or doubt. And I was always thought, I didn't think it was arrogant at the time, but I was always like, 
I'm a, I'm faith. Like I, I've never questioned my faith. Like it's just not going to happen. If something bad happens, I'll see it in the context of what I believe about God. <laughs> but yeah, well, I was humbled. So I found out, you know, how weak my faith was when that time came. Uh, but that's okay because God has been faithful um, in that, in spite of of me. It's amazing how fast the time goes. Go ahead, Deborah. Yeah, I, I want to just say yes and amen to what you just shared. That was stirring in me right before you shared that. The value of not pushing somebody into having faith, but, but learning together as a community, how do we just be with? And Linda's in a community with me where we're, that is just kind of one of our ground rules. We don't fix anybody. We don't give advice. We just let it be. And we're together in that. There's a real kindness. I think when I've experienced people allowing me to be where I really am in the Lord and not trying to push me toward another place. And I, I think even in that kindness, there is healing that's poured out. And we give space for somebody to, for the Lord to connect to them personally and the way they hear and see and perceive him. That, that got stirred up in me on the heels of your words. <laughs> oh, thanks. I mean, I don't think the church hasn't done a great job with that historically. I mean, people, suffering makes other people uncomfortable or to the faith walking stuff, themes. I mean, anxiety, you know, it stirs our own anxiety and we want to, uh, we got to make them feel better so we can feel better. And so people aren't good at just being with people wherever they are and letting God do things in his own time. And they're I, I, when um, Deborah said that, I coincidentally, I listened to a couple podcasts this week by um, Susan David, Dr. Susan, Susan David, who wrote a book on emotional agility. And she said, as believers, we have a tendency to want to make people feel better. You know, we always want to put a positive spin on, well, you know, um, um, and it can actually be toxic to us. Um, Kate Bowler um, also has a podcast that I love that there's no cure for being human. Um, and when somebody is suffering for us to want to put a positive spin on it is actually devaluing what they are feeling and experiencing at the time. Um, you know, I worked in ICU for 43 years. And if I would go into a room where somebody is dying and say, well, you know, they're going to be with the Lord um, or some other positive, you know, try to put a positive spin on it. It devalues the experience that people are having. And sometimes the emotions that we are experiencing at the time Susan David calls them actual signposts to um, let us know that we are feeling those feelings, but they are not encompassing us, that we can actually wonder what or have a curiosity about, I'm not sad, I'm feeling sad, I wonder what this is stirring up in me, and I wonder where this is coming from. And um, she said, it's kind of like, um, it's a cloud in our sky, but we are the sky. And I, that was powerful for me to know that I could have several different emotions, like there's many different clouds in the sky at the same time, but I'm the sky and that's not gonna overwhelm me. Um, so I, I, th I think I've taken that position to know that even though I'm, I'm sad and I'm sorrowful, um, I, I'm experiencing that emotion, but it's not encompassing me. And that I can use it as a signpost to say, I wonder what God, where God is in this. So anyway. I love that you brought up curiosity. I 
I never understood why that was, I mean, until before, you know, faith walking, where obviously we talk about it a lot, but it's not original to us. I mean, that's just opens door and curiosity with God too. Instead of being like, I mean, there's a place time for anger. It could be a long time, but also like, okay, so what's this about God? <laughs> Help me out here. You know, like just having that curiosity, that kind of posture of curiosity, I think goes a long way. Yeah. Brenda, is there something you wanted to say about that? Um, actually, I was going back to, uh, who was just speaking? Well, I'm sorry. I am so exhausted from the trip. I can't. No problem. No problem. Brain fog. Um, but what I was, what I was going to say is that I remember it was over 20, about 26 years ago when my mother had committed suicide. And I remember during that time, I was heavily involved in ministry. I was, I was a practicing minister and I had never seen so many people scatter out of my life as if I had some contagious disease because I was grieving and all of a sudden people that I, even family members, it's just like everybody disappeared. Nobody was, and I ultimately became a grief counselor after that. But I, when you're in that kind of pain and it is difficult for people to, to sit, sit with you, you know, it's, it's almost, almost like a skill they have to learn um, <laughs> just to tolerate it because of their anxiousness. You know, I, that's, I hate the Bible thumping. I hate the, oh yeah, everything's gonna be great. Oh, you know, I hate the cliches. And, and so I've learned from, from that experience to never, ever do that, you know, to another human that's suffering. But in the midst of people's pain, they also have to train the people around them how to treat them well during it. I mean, like, you know, they're in the worst times of their lives and then other people just don't get it. Yeah. That's, I mean, I've been that person. I've been, I mean, I've been the person doing it the wrong way for so, for so long. Uh, that's what I was about to say. You know, if it hadn't been for faith walking and here it is, I, I mean, I jumped in faith walking about five years ago, almost six years ago, and it took getting into faith walking to learn to grieve what I was going through because I was never taught or I was, you know, just get up, move on. God is good. Yay. Keep going until, you know, it ultimately broke me down. I think it's a, it's a, it's something that requires a lot of discernment. Yeah. What I wanted to say this topic and what you sent us, Angela, just refreshed for me and reminded me of um, something, a teaching I heard several years ago that the result of it was life-changing for me. And when I look at the teaching, I go, well, you know, gee, why was it so life-changing? But the topic was um really that god wants to meet us in our circumstances and he desires to do that and he's powerful in that and we should be expectant of that but not but expectant just that he will be there and not necessarily in what he's going to do and that was life-changing for me and it was like that wasn't anything I hadn't heard before, and I've read scriptures to that effect, but it's like, you know, it's how you can read a scripture a hundred times, and then suddenly it jumps off the page and speaks to you. It's, it's, it's all, it can be you, and, and that's the way that was for me, and, and so I've been trying to live into that truth uh, ever since then, and sometimes I do, and other times I don't. Um, you know, it's, it's a journey.
But when I do, I, I find the Lord to be very powerful and real in those places. It's that he, um, his love is so deep and his power is so great. And all of that is so beyond um, what, what we um, sometimes know and experience. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I, one of the things that I think that I've wrestled with a little bit and I wanted to get y'all's input on and you've spoken to it uh, in part, Saul, is this idea of like, how can we, to use his phrase, struggle, how can we struggle with God until our hearts bleed with hope? I mean, what does that actually look like? <laughs> I mean, what does it look like to try to be faithful in the midst of suffering? What does it look like to wrestle with our suffering and acknowledge it and speak of it and, and do that with God? I, I'm I don't know. I've got lots of different things um, going through my head. Uh, we've, some of y'all have shared what has encouraged you. Go ahead, Trish. His promise is that he will never leave us. And I hear that Holy Spirit tell me that all the time. It's just like, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And truly, I feel like we can go through anything when we know that Jesus is right there next to us, sometimes carrying us, often carrying us. And, you know, I don't want to go through any more sorrow or pain more than the next person. But if I know that's the way that Jesus is taking me and that he's never going to leave me, then I can say, okay, okay, what, whatever it is. It's just his presence, his presence and his, sometimes I ask for his felt presence. It's like, Lord, I just, I need to feel it. I need to know that you are here. And he's so faithful and so gentle and so kind. Um, I couldn't do anything without his presence with me. So I was just thinking about that soul as you were sharing that. So thank you so much. I remember the quote that Brene Brown had when she said she went back to church she, that she thought that God was going to be like an epidural and instead to take away all the pain. And instead he was like a labor coach to tell her when to breathe and when to push. <laughs> that's a great image. I haven't even had a baby, but that's a great, yeah. I love that. <laughs> I, I've never heard that either. I've had six yeah. kids. I could, now I will have that oh, stuck wow. in here. Yeah. I can only imagine. <laughs> well, it was Brene Brown. It wasn't me. I know, but still, thanks for sharing it. Appreciate it. Anybody else on any of what we've talked about? Hope you have a chance, if you haven't had a chance to read this, or even better to read the book. Um, you know, I can't do justice with a, few, a handful of quotes. Um, I wish I could have read, if we had time, read some quotes specifically around uh, his ideas around, well, not his, I mean, he would say they were biblical ideas about uh, the healing path and the redemption of suffering. Uh, but they are there. So if you haven't had a chance to read it, read the handout, I, I hope that you will. Anybody else? John, I haven't heard anything from you today. I'm being like Ken now. I'm like calling on people. Oh my goodness, I'm getting drunk on my own power. <laughs> Just can, can you hear me? A couple of things on that. I, I know that um, one of the things that some of us try and do is I need, to, sometimes I've found that I need a reason or an explanation for something. And uh, there's always an answer and you're digging after the answer. 
And sometimes there are no answers. And basically all you're doing is standing in your pain. I've, uh, I mean, I found that uh, particularly hard. Um, I remember I mean, two occasions um, when my um, mother died in particularly trying circumstances in the same way that um, other people have mentioned um, today. And you get the news on the end of a telephone call. And uh, secondly, when we lost one of our uh, children, um, when my wife didn't go full term, um, you're basically just standing there in pain and there, there are no words. It's like somebody's just said, Jesus, you said you would be with me. And sometimes that is all that you know, that we have, you promised, your promises, you will never leave me and you will never forsake me. And it's that time of standing in the pain and choosing to worship because he is worthy. I remember particularly when my, when our, our, our child died, didn't go, you know, when my wife didn't go full term, we went to, we went to church and I've never really experienced anything like, like this. Uh, my, my wife and myself experienced this. So we, we went to, we went to church and we said, right, okay, we are going to choose to enter in. We made a, 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 a like a, a hardcore decision, if I can use that term to, to worship. And it was almost like, uh, at that particular time, it was almost like we were in a bubble of his presence, as if God was just surrounding us with his, uh, within his arms, of, you know, in that metaphor. Um, and it was a particularly um, wonderful time um, in that way. But then you're back to the, how can I put it, you're then back to the day job of putting one foot in front of the other. <clears throat> And it is, it is painful. Um, and, you know, it's walking in that when there are no answers. I think that that's the, that's the thing that some of us find difficult. And she's okay, Jesus, you said you would be with me and I'm just gonna keep on going, irrespective of the pain. Yeah, amen. Thank you, John. Thanks so much for sharing. So have a good weekend, guys. We'll see you next week. <laughs>